Broadsheet Radio. It's time for shared history. Thank you for history, friend. Ba -da -ba. Travel down Silk Road and back again. <laughs> Your history's true. You're a friend and a confidant. Oh my gosh, that uh, me not meme, whatever that video of the guy riffing over. Thank you for being a friend. Is my favorite. And I listened to it about 12 times last week. It's just a song that can't make, like, it has to make you happy. Like, it has it to fill you with warmth and joy. And it's an appropriate song to kick off this episode with because yesterday would have been our Lord and Savior Betty White's 100th birthday. May she rest in peace and, and may she just rest she, she, she has been hard. working literally since 1922. May she just have a goddamn rest. Give her a break. But this isn't what we meant. <laughs> yeah, we were not. Oh, we, we just wanted to take off. a nap. Yeah, just let her take a, take a quick nap. So we're devastated. And typically we've recorded episodes uh, far enough in advance that we wouldn't still be, you know, feeling this at the time of recording the episode for this particular day but we are so we decided we're just going to talk about betty white the routine that we usually follow like revealing our our stories is no uh, this is just a therapy session we're just gonna yeah. we broke we broke the sacred vow of never telling each other what our topic is uh to be like we're just gonna talk about betty white right <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that I think that feels it right. Happened that we didn't have an episode in the can already for this date, and it is the day after her would-be hundredth birthday. I know we've spent a lot of time in Hollywood in this episode or in this season, but it just felt wrong to talk about anything else. And you know what? God damn it, we're talking about Betty. You know what? Hollywood's only been around for like a hundred. 150 years maybe and they've packed in a whole lot of history so whatever it's a hollywood season yeah and it feels right it feels it, it's like a this is like a weird uh companion episode to our episode with claire duffy about just the women in hollywood and the women who built hollywood because you know who fucking built television basically as we know it Betty damn females oh <laughs> And Betty White specifically. But also that. Have you discovered anything new in this new-ish year? You know, I have. I've discovered what my craft will be for this year. <gasps> oh my gosh, do tell. So for those for those at home who maybe don't know, uh, I taught myself how to embroider in the year of our Betty White 2021. I had done cross-stitch before. I had done counted cross-stitch before, which is a little bit different. You're like following a pattern and and you're doing the thing. I taught myself how to embroider because my dear friend Carly told me about something called a thread journal or an embroidery journal where you embroider something for every day of the year. 
And I did that ding-dang thing. Uh, I'll post pictures on the feed because most days that Cass and I recorded, nothing else exciting happened to me that day. That seeing Cass's face was all the excitement that I could muster. Or But you can't do a portrait of me in small embroidery every day. No, no. Although I did do a Brendan Fraser portrait for New Year's Eve this year. Oh my God, it was magical. So I would stitch something uh, relevant to the topics that we talked about um, for pretty much all of season four and half of season five now. Uh, so <laughs> this year's craft, I decided to teach myself to crochet because I discovered, you're welcome, temperature blankets. What? A temperature blanket is where you uh, create like a color gauge based on the temperature of where you're at or where you live or what, however you want to do it, where you are that day. And you uh, crochet a single line of a blanket in the corresponding color on the color gauge. Now, I don't have much faith that 2022 isn't going to suck a big one. So rather than doing, I mean, we started it by losing Betty White. So rather than an arbitrary year, I, uh, I'm, I'm doing a past year. So, which is fun because I can work ahead. So right now I'm hiding from uh, Omicron and not doing anything. <laughs> so I have already uh, crocheted a month and a half of 2015. <laughs> so that's nice. what I discovered temperature blankets. You're welcome, world. How about you, Cass? Have you made any discoveries recently? So I discovered something that I, in true colonizer fashion, I discovered something and then I outsourced it to you. I found this book called Around the World in 80 Books. It was Natalie's Christmas present. She just got yesterday because I just mailed it two days ago. Slash early Valentine's Day gift for my number one Valentine. Me. Um, and so I need Natalie to look at it and show and, and tell me again. But it it goes by geography, but it doesn't do like country by country, does it? Some of them are country. Like if there's and it's compare it's basically like I don't even think some of the books are by authors from that region. I think some of them are like the book takes place in this region. Sometimes the author is from some topics though, that we've talked about are on it though. Cause I flipped through. So tale of Genji is on it for, uh, for, uh, Tokyo and Ky Tokyo Kyoto, which is yeah. that, that chunk of the, of the book. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with you. I'm okay with you outsourcing this to me. I did immediately text Cass and say, do, I need to read all 80 of these books. <laughs> no, you didn't say, do I need to? You said, I scanned the table of contents <laughs> and I feel like I want to wait to read some of these books. And then uh -huh. I realized that it was both thoughtful and cruel of me because <laughs> she has to wait to read 80 books. Or <laughs> I can read this she... book. <laughs> um, but no, it was really cool. And it's something that I really need to expand my geographical book genre so that's like a great place to start if you've been locked in one genre or one geography of literature that is typically how i actually set my reading goals or resolutions for the years i usually have one reading related resolution and sometimes it's just like bitch read again uh and other times <laughs> more specific and it's like i need to read more things by women of color i need to read more things by queer authors. I want to read more, like, and so I basically will go. Oh. I need more straight, dead white men. I really don't read. I love reading, but I don't read a lot. 
you know, you point and shoot at one of those books on your Around the World in 80 books, and I'll read it. Or I'll just read Jane Eyre. This season and last season, I was doing a lot of, why have I not discovered any, like, Southeast or Eastern Asian literature? Like, there's so much there. And I jumped in with Yukio Mishima, who is this Japanese author who wrote, you know, The Man Who Fell From Grace From The Sea and uh, The Mask. I can't remember what it's called. So all of those topics were like, man, I really like this literature. Let's look into more behind it. Also, I'm looking, I Googled Yukio Mishima and I'm looking at pictures and we should not be objectifying people. Can I just say that? People are more than just their bodies. But damn, if this guy isn't fine. <laughs> you think of authors and you think of just kind of like, oh, he's, you know, maybe he's cute in like a nerdy way. But the first picture of him is like shirtless with a sword and he was in i'm sorry we has take a drink of water gosh towel off you know what i take back my discovery my discovery for this <laughs> week is how fine you can miss you and um on that note let's you know on the note of objectifying uh younger men even though he's old and has died since now but all these pictures of him in his youth in honor of objectifying young men, let's talk about Betty White. Because yeah. boy, if she didn't love a young, foin-ass man. <laughs> and we love her for it. Uh, gonna go ahead and take partial credit, because Betty White was born in Oak Park, baby! I was about, I was wondering how much credit you were going to take from this or how much you were going to put yourself into this. She was here for a, like just a year, but, and it, <laughs> and Oak Park is uh, not in Chicago, but it has an L stop. So we allow it a little bit more when people from Oak Park say that they're from Chicago when they're on vacation because they're closer than Schomburg. Uh, also, we just have, we just got our website up and live and it's our our uh bios are on other stuff too but i was looking through the website and i looked at natalie's bio and she put chicago based comedian and podcaster because she knows better than to say she's from chicago even though you've lived there for what 15 years now what is math uh 13 13 Thir yeah 13 like you i think you can claim residency i can't do it I've been based here for 13 years. It's like Chicago based, and then it's like you're not Chicago based anymore, but you're Chicago trained. <laughs> based, not born. Okay. Anyway, speaking of born, Betty White, born January 7th, 1922. We didn't know, but our lives all got better on that day. 17th. Did I say 7th? Didn't I say 7th? You said 7th. Seven. You pulled a cast. 17th. <laughs> I got so excited, I dropped a syllable. Speaking of dropping syllables, I don't know if this is true, but I read it in numerous places that Betty White's name is Betty. Not short for anything. Yes. Her name is Betty. It's not Elizabeth. She's she's Betty. Deal with it. Um, didn't stick around the Midwest long, unfortunately for us. But, you know, also fortunately for us because she went out west to California. There's an interview. There's an interview with her where she's like cracks a joke about whether or not it was a state back then because when she's barely a year old i'm like it was a state uh but she's like i'm so old <laughs> but she, they moved to california they're not they they don't start in los angeles but they they <clears throat> moved to 
Los Angeles eventually. I don't remember when, but like it's 1923. Let's give some historical context to the shit that this woman has lived through. It's 1923. What's going on? Hitler and Mussolini are picking up steam. Um, but also in the United States, the twenties be roaring. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. The roaring twenties. <laughs> Uh, the, oh, in 1923 or 24, the U S attorney general says that it's legal for ladies to wear pants. So that's where we're at. She's still in her Victorian baby gown that everyone wore back then. And she's like, yes, pants are legalized just in time for me to put on some slack. Legalized pants. So Betty's family moves to Los Angeles eventually. And by that point, we're, we're, the 20s have roared their last roar. We in the Great Depression territory. Because again, let's not forget that this queen lived through it. Just through all of it. Do you know where it was not a fun place to be during the Great Depression? Oh, where? California. Tell me, tell me why, Cass. <laughs> Steinbeck taught us that, if anything. <laughs> Speaking of Steinbeck, Betty White was friends with him. Of course she was. Yeah, he and his wife were like friends of her and I'm assu- of, of her and her husband. They were like really close friends. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, yeah, a fun a fun fact. To make extra money, her dad built crystal radios, which were a like really popular early radio receiver that. I assume did better than Crystal Pepsi, but still got phased out nonetheless. And I, I just, I just like that. I just like to think of them as very woo woo. And it's like, these crystals are a radio <laughs> to your aura and your past and present. That's exactly. But that wasn't. What well, what's was. funny is I do think I like looked at it a little bit. Cause I was like, what the fuck is a crystal radio? There was something I saw that is like a thing about crystal radios is that they are basically powered by the radio waves themselves. So like they don't need external power or something. Anyway, so she's so she's an only child. She's like spoiled silly, but in like the wholesome way, like the good way. Uh, they, she just it sounds like she just had a very lovely childhood and she really loved her parents. And they and she loved wildlife, partially probably because her family every summer, presumably, would go spend three weeks in uh, up in the Sierras, like in Sierra Nevada, and they would just spend three weeks out there. And this is like, there's nothing out there. Like this is this isn't you're taking your Winnebago to Yellowstone. This is you're just out with Definitely. your backpack and a pack mule, and you're yeah. just hanging out with mom and dad in the wilderness. And so she credits those trips for really like building her love of nature and her love of wildlife, which she's no, renowned as a an animal advocate and a wildlife advocate. She says advocate, not activist. Uh, and so at so she spends all this time up in the Sierras and it, and uh, there's an interview where she says that she that her friends at school would be like, what, what do you guys like what do you do like what do you do for three weeks just in like the fucking wilderness? Like, what do you guys talk about? What are you doing? She's like, they missed the whole point. But because of this love of wildlife, she, I didn't know this about her. She aspired to be a forest ranger. But they wouldn't let women do it. No. So she wasn't allowed to be a ranger at the time. So all we have is our imagination. Because can you just, can you just imagine 
the outfit. Betty what the outfit? Can you imagine her in those slacks? It's legal now. She can wear them. <laughs> I love a tan slack. I love a tan slack. And so uh I'm just gonna I'll jump ahead to I think in like twenty fourteen. She's named an oh sorry, it's twenty ten. She's named an honorary forest ranger. And at the time that she was named an honorary forest ranger and basically like get, got to make her initial dream come true over two-thirds of the forest rangers at that time were women so i just was like <laughs> sorry i'm scribbling for future history topics women in the forest women rangers. in forest ranging absolutely honestly honestly if i didn't want to focus fully on betty white as i was as we were digging into betty white and like reading more about her and re like remembering more about her i thought of like 13 other topics we we could do in the future because this woman again yeah lived for a century so she can't she can't be a forest ranger but luckily when she was still in elementary school she like wrote and was the lead in like a school play and throughout school did did some theater and kind of fell in love with performing arts and so that inspired her to go out and you know inspire the ever living fuck out of every one of us speaking as a woman in comedy <laughs> there's her like earliest work in television is lost to time because she appeared let's remember like we're we're in the late 30s early 40s let's say i don't know if this is true but let's say we're in like 1939-ish television nobody television's still trying to figure out what television is it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. And not a lot of people had a television. No, and they didn't really know why they needed one. They're like, I have a radio. Why do I need this? And so right out of school, she's she does this experimental TV show that is, you know, gone and lost to the ages because we didn't know what TV was. And we didn't know to save shit. It's like we talked about this with Claire where they were just like, they were just burn old films. Yeah. <laughs> like, goodbye, film. And she she's sings and I think dances on this this show that you can't you can't find her initial um her first television appearance anymore. It's I don't even know what it's called. Don't even know what it's called. But she danced the Merry Widow Waltz. I know that. And she like wore Ooh. her like high school graduation dress. <laughs> dress. And she does this like audition call thing and she she models, she works in the theater and uh and then we're and then we're in the 40s and cast i don't know what 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 are the 40s like what's happening in the 40s let me tell you <clears throat> this uh newfangled thing called world war ii you know there was rationing there was there a were a lot of shortages what's up there was a sequel there was a sequel you know if we're gonna talk about television and whatnot we love a sequel um the reboot and you know what <laughs> natalie what was going on in the 40s in california oh gosh you know i just don't know just some casual internment a little bit of xenophobia i think we still had a, a a chinese immigrant ban oh for sure we for sure did yeah um yeah just <laughs> a lot of things we've already talked about in the podcast yeah. Uh, so Hollywood obviously kind of like taking a taking a time out 
for for Betty. She volunteers for the American Women's Voluntary Services, which is the largest American women's service organization during the war. I like, here's another thing for you to picture Betty White doing. She drove this big ass truck with military supplies up to the Hollywood Hills, all through the Hollywood Hills, just dropping off supplies. Can you just imagine this tiny woman, tiny, tiny woman, big truck. Also, that sounds like something she would do now. Just like throw me in a truck and give me some weapons and I'll start dropping them off, which I know she wasn't just dropping off guns and stuff to everybody, but it's a funny picture. People need, the people need their rations and some gauze and some guns. And do you know who they're going to get it from? Betty White. Betty goddamn White. I think we imagine her as being part of like USO shows. Yeah. But it's like. But she wasn't, she didn't have that status yet. Mm-hmm. Like she did, she did participate in some like pre-deployment events, but there's, I couldn't find anything about her like being part of a USO show because she wasn't those, you booked big draws for that. Yeah. And she wasn't that yet. She wasn't the Betty White that we know and love yet. While she's working with the American Women's Voluntary Services, she meets and marries her first husband, Dick Barker, an Air Force pilot. And after the war ends, uh, they... They they away to Bell Center, Iowa. Oh, sorry. Nope. I almost said Iowa. Bell Center, Ohio, uh, where Barker owned a chicken farm and wanted to, it was like, we're going to have a simpler life now. And he was like, isn't this great and quaint? And Betty White hated it. And was like, take me back. Take, get me out of Ohio (laughs) and take me back to LA. So they would go back to LA and they divorce like within a year of returning to los angeles which, which i kind of was like you couldn't you could have just divorced in ohio and then got back Betty. i need to drag you back to california and break your heart Leave your chickens um which was in what year natalie that they got divorced oh i don't know i would guess 43 44 45 oh yeah they oh, were okay. married and divorced in 45 which she was in her twin should be 20s? 23 yeah divorced at 23 in the mid 40s and i mean obviously still a working lady like <laughs> let's talk about all the things that are no-nos that she's doing she's wearing goddamn slacks which though it's legal it's still a little bit like who the fuck i mean she wears a lot of dresses because that because that waist that betty white waist snatched natalie there comes a time in every episode where i need to talk to you about iowa wait is this a new segment no it's an ad for our sponsor raygun who i love for being a wonderful business and for providing me with a regular excuse to bring up iowa as if you needed one (laughs) right raygun is the greatest store in the universe hands down they're headquartered in the greatest state in the universe okay okay they also have other locations including one in the best city in the universe in chicago true i guess you could say raygun brings us together raygun kind of brings everyone together true again from home goods and paper products to their signature apparel raygun is all about good vibes great laughs and kind of just not being a shitty person yep And they regularly collaborate with charities and special causes on special runs of products. And 15 to 30% of their net profits go to a variety of nonprofit organizations every year. And they sponsor this really dope history podcast I love. Right? So don't be a shitty person. 
Check them out at their stores across the Midwest or online at raygunsite.com. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. So post-war and post-first husband uh, Betty White is when we start to get to the Betty White that we all kind of know and love, or at least like have heard of and and love, because she's still she's still not big she's still not big potato she's small potato, but she she immediately she's like I'm back in L A I want to do the thing I'm hitting the movie studios I'm looking for work I'm picking up where I left off before the war, she's turned down for not being photogenic which how dare you. Look at a picture of, first of all, old Betty White, still beautiful. Yeah. But look at a picture of young Betty White and tell me that she's not photogenic. Fuck off, guys. Like, her fucking cheekbones, like the right? bone structure, I'm sorry. And she can do everything because, yes. of course, she can. She can sing. She can dance. So she goes for the radio. She goes, She gets a radio job. She gets paid, like, $5 a show to basically do, like, bit parts and read commercials She's eventually, from that, offered her own rodeo, radio show, which is the first time we meet the Betty White show. Um, I think it was just like kind of like a talk radio show with music. I don't know much about it um, because I she's known as a first lady in television, so I want to get to TV. Yes. So 1947, she marries her second husband, Lane Allen, an agent. Uh, they divorce two years later because she he wants a family, and she, quite frankly, would rather have a career than children how dare she like, seems like a conversation you might have before you get married but i'm not gonna judge <laughs> oh, i'm sure she'll change her mind i'm sure she'll change her mind after yeah i'm her honestly thing. positive that he would that like one would assume that of a woman <laughs> in uh in the in 1947 so from that she starts co-hosting on hollywood on television which again we're still figuring out what tv is <laughs> Like, we're in the late 40s. We're still figuring this thing out. Hollywood on television is a daily live TV variety show, and she's co-hosting it. She goes from basically never having done television to doing a show that is five hours, five and a half hours of live. Everything was live on TV basically back then. Live, ad-libbed, like unscripted television six days a week so it was vaudeville <laughs> yeah yeah it was televised vaudeville just like straight into the fire of learning this shit um she would sing a few songs on each broadcast uh in 1952 she begins solo hosting this same show so now instead of having a co-host which Cass and I didn't know know the difference between being on stage alone and having somebody that you could be like please help me I don't know if it was for this show or for a different show, but there, uh, like for her next one, but there, I, I saw something that was like, if you've ever been to a live taping of something, there's a warm up act. And so there's this clip of Betty White being her own warm up act for like <laughs> the show that she like produced and starred in, like climbing up on a ladder because the audience was elevated and standing on the ladder and warming up the audience so that they would be a good audience for the show, for her own show. <laughs> I just also like the idea that in like, let's say 45, somebody tells her she's not photogenic enough to be on television and less than five, less than 10 years later, she is solo hosting five and a half hours of live television six days a week. Well, she was producing this too, right? I don't know if she was producing Hollywood on television okay. um, because 
she after Hollywood on television, she co-founds her her production company, Bandy Productions. So I don't know if she was technically listed as a producer on Hollywood on television, but she was nominated for her first Emmy nomination. And it's 1951, and at this point, there's like no shows named for uh, nominations. It's just for body of work. Yeah. And so she's nominated for best actress on TV. <laughs> this is also like. Emmys number one, pretty much. Yeah, basically. Like we 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 haven't we haven't realized or thought that we need to like subdivide shit beyond gender apparently. Yes. But she then co-founds Bandy Productions, like I said, with writer jo- George Tibbles and producer Don Federson. They basically take characters from sketches that they used to do on Hollywood on Hollywood on television, and. Uh, create a new sitcom the team was like hey we really like this bit that you do on hollywood on television do you think that could be like a whole half hour show and betty white was like no there's no way that would be successful and they're like well try it she's like all right fine and so that's when life with elizabeth starring betty white uh also originally a live production uh begins and this show wins white an, an la emmy so i don't know what that is but there's apparently a los angeles emmy um, also, most early television was sketch comedy. A lot of early sitcoms were characters derived from sketches. Mm-hmm. So now, I don't know, let's say we're in like 54. And this one, Life with Elizabeth, she was producing. Yes, she's a producer. Which seems wild, but as we learned with Claire Duffy, like, there was a lot of women involved with production with writing with performing in early hollywood but still a pretty big yeah. deal that she's kind of this like what 20 something newbie who's just like hey here's five hours of live television hey go produce yeah. this she's 28 years old she still lives with her parents she's a woman and she's producing television and winning awards and we're in the 50 but she's not photogenic but she's not photogenic. She's not, she's not photogenic, but we can trust her to literally run the entire thing. Um, she had full creative control in front of and behind the camera at 28 years old. And, and yeah, we talked with Claire Duffy about like how women in early television were, were crushing it and were like literally building Hollywood and not in early television, early film. But that predates this. Like we're now kind of past the point that like where men – rewrote the rules and i don't remember when the Hayes code comes out but i think we're past we're post Hayes code and so now women are kind of put in the background and not being given these opportunities 1952 she's named the honorary mayor of hollywood she's the fourth ever honorary mayor of hollywood she's 30 and she's making us all feel bad for not having done shit youngest politician and kidding yeah it's an honorary history I think that they should have just stopped. Like in 1952, she should have been named the honorary mayor of Hollywood. And they're like, that's it. You're the, you're the honorary mayor of Hollywood for forever. We're never going to top you. No. Uh, I'm honestly shocked that she is not again named that later in life. Like, Yeah, exactly. She had this resurgence in 2010 and was just like, people rediscovered Betty White and were just giving her shit. They're making honorary forest rangers. Like just give yeah. her mayorship again. Just give it back. <laughs> let her out of take away honorary just let her be the mayor of los angeles <laughs> uh let her do it all so i had mentioned the betty white show on the radio 
So from 1952 to 1954, there's now the Betty White show on TV. I think we have like four or five iterations of what is just called the Betty White show on TV. This one is a daily talk and variety show. Again, she has full creative control. This is the one she hires a female director for. And I bring up this show for a variety of reasons. One being that she features as basically a series regular, a black performer, a tap dancer and singer named Arthur Duncan. And at first, this show is just locally in California, but it's super popular, and the show expands nationally. And southern states, we're in, a gym, we're in the Jim Crow era, so southern states are like, how dare you put a black man on my, t- on my, on my TV? On my, my show box. On my show you box. You woman, you. And it's, uh, we'll, post, we'll post one of uh, Duncan's performances he's he's so great he said in an interview and he's older that he was like this is like his first kind of like big gig and it's it's a it's like a talk and variety show so she's she it's basically arthur duncan is among like the band who she much like modern like late night talk shows will just shoot the shit with yeah and be like what do you guys do this weekend <laughs> oh that's cool like it's just like we got like, five we have hours to cover <laughs> It wasn't still five hours, but still. It was it may not have been. I don't know how long this show was, but uh but so the show expands nationally and uh and southern states threaten to like boycott unless Duncan is removed. And she uh, uh Betty finds out about this and it just basically is like, sorry, live live with it. And gives him more airtime. God, I love that. That's like when everyone was boy- starting to boycott Hamilton and Lynn, as well as everyone else, is like Okay, don't come. First of all, less less line in the lottery for me. Also, you're depriving yourself by boycotting. Uh, one, you're missing the point, and two, you're missing out. Yes. So, and three, we don't miss you. No, you probably weren't here to begin with. So yeah, oh, yeah. It's I love when people like are like I'm boycotting this thing that I never like it's like a vegan boycotting chick-fil-a and it's like all right (laughs) when all that stuff about the cubs owner about how he was like giving millions and millions of dollars to trump and people were like oh this is so hard for me because i'm a cubs fan but i'm gonna not go to cubs games i was like yeah me too fuck the cubs i don't watch baseball i lived right next to wrigleyville for like three years and then i didn't go to a single cubs game uh, and also, I would like to go back to Chick-fil-A and say, fuck Chick-fil-A. Fuck uh, you. Your company's trash. And honestly, I don't get the hype. Yeah. I had it. It's not good. This, there's a good There's a good sauce. Yeah. I mean, you fried chicken. It's, it's going to be good. It's fried chicken, but you can get that anywhere. Also, I, it, people go. I know people that go. I live in Iowa. They're just going to go and not care about it. There's this kid, or this guy I work with, he's leaving for lunch. He's like, what do you get? And he's like, Chick-fil-A. And I'll just yell, bigot, across the street. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not. He's an ally. He's super great and progressive and whatnot. But it's oh. just one of those things he doesn't prioritize. So I just yell, bigot. <laughs> I love it. Please, please never stop. <laughs> yeah, as, as, as a vegetarian for now, uh, my I know, I recognize that my boycott of Chick-fil-A doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. <laughs> Now, when you start boycotting Hamilton, we're like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, I single-handedly keep Lin-Manuel Miranda employed. Yeah, um, thank I'm you. sorry if you don't like him. It's me. <laughs> uh, it's my fault. It's all my fault. 
Um, so, so now we're after the Betty White show. We're after life with Elizabeth. Uh, she she ends up on this uh, leading this ABC sitcom, which there is a quote from her saying that she can honestly say that this was the only time I've ever wanted to get out of a show. And so they decide not like the, there's just like a whole bunch of kerfuffle with like the studio and shit. And so the the show is just a disaster. And but ABC wouldn't let her out of her contract. So this is when the Betty White show comes back the first or I guess the second time. It comes back uh, because instead of continuing with the show, she's like, how about I have th- like 13 weeks left in my contract. Why don't we just reboot the Betty White show on ABC <laughs> for 13 weeks because nobody wants to make this other show anymore. Wow. Could you uh, imagine switching a show networks like that now? Yeah. Um, a good thing to come out of that that sitcom, it was called Date with the Angels. Uh, was that she met Lucille Ball on that show and they became buddies. And let's also just take a minute to imagine Betty White, Lucille Ball, just hanging out. That's like one of those, what's your, you know, uh, dream dinner party, alive or dead? Like, Betty, Lucille, and fuck, let's throw John Steinbeck in there. Why not? (laughs) Why not? He's kind of a mood killer. I was going to say, like, let's throw Mary Tyler Moore in there. Except for they're all going to have, like, inside jokes and then you just feel left out because uh, they've all worked together. But uh, uh, speaking of Mary Tyler Moore, I guess that's the 70s. The 60s is when she becomes a first lady. We're the first lady of a lot of things, I was Betty just about White. to say, I got a whole list of first first ladies. Yeah. That she, first lady mayor, first of all. Yeah, she's a first lady of game shows, becomes another honorific that she is kind of given. And it's because she just loves word games. And all of the like game shows back then were like clever wordplay games. And she's just so fast and witty and wonderful um, that she's just like, yeah, put me on all of them. And she's a good celebrity guest because she like understands the format and can play with it because she used to ad lib for five and a half (laughs) hours a week i love that idea of like i like word games can i be on all of them (laughs) just an excuse to do a hobby but it's just so cute because so she so she becomes like a staple on password and like she appears on all of the updated versions of password for the future like she's like a mainstay on password and so, and she marries, she meets, I think he was the first host of Password, Alan Ludden, and fucking falls in love with him. He's in New York because Password was produced in New York at the time. And she would go back to New York to do the show over and over and over again. And she's like, it's because I really like Password. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. okay. And Alan Ludden proposes to her. So they're like dating for a while. And she pro- he proposes to her and she says no because she doesn't want to move to New York she's like I'm not doing it I don't want to move to New York and and he has this ring and he wears the ring around his neck he doesn't get take it back to the jeweler he's, he's like you're eventually going to say yes and so every so there's just photos of them like on vacation and it's like Alan Ludden shirtless just like with this diamond ring around his <laughs> neck and, and he just like he just wears it and he basically asks her to marry him constantly and then she finally, like a year later, relents and says yes. Uh, and and she's back in LA and he's in New York. And she's like, I, what am I doing? I'm wasting time that I could be with this man who I love. And so she moves, she moves to New York. And I think like two years later, password gets mo- production for it gets moved back to LA. So she's like, ha ha, I want to get curious. I wonder how that happened. 
Yeah, she's like, nah, that was convenient. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you had nothing to do with that. I can imagine Betty White just like strong arming the producers of the show, being like, we're going back. I made my husband abandon his chickens in Ohio. I can get this show can, to LA. I can move this whole show. <laughs> but yeah, she's she and Alan Lund, like she talks about Alan Lund, like and he's he's her sweetheart. Like they were, they're so in love. They're buddies with the Steinbecks. <laughs> Um, but she, she, I just love the idea that she just like made, did the game show circuit. Like she's on what's my line. She's on to tell the truth. She's on match game. She's on pyramid. She just does everything. Um, she makes her feet. She doesn't make her feature film debut until 1962, which seemed, which is wild to me just cause at what she's 40 then. And she's already been like been crushing all these things. She's like, I don't need to be in the movies. Yeah. I'm in everybody's homes on TV. I don't need to be in the movies. Um, the Today Show apparently tried to get her to become, like, their host. And she's like, nah, I don't want to move to New York. This is before she moves to New York for Alan. Yeah. Um, Barbara Walters ends up with the gig. But, can again, let's just all take a moment for can you imagine? Can you imagine? And then I mentioned Mary Tyler Moore before. So that's the 70s. She becomes a regular in the fourth and fifth seasons of the Mary Tyler Moore Show as the iconic man-hungry Sue Ann Nivens, which if you've watched the Mary Tyler Moore show, oh boy, Sue Ann is just a firecracker. She's like cynical. She's, uh, she, she's, she's, she, her like fictional TV show within the show is, uh, she has this persona as a happy homemaker and it's like sickening they they were they literally when they were writing this character they were like we need somebody like sickening who can play sickeningly sweet like Betty White can uh and then basically the moment the fake cameras are off turns into this like this firecracker and kind of cynical uh, aggressive <laughs> little lady um and more Mary Tyler Moore finally suggests at a production meeting like why don't we just cast white and the production was like against it because white and more were friends and they thought it would be like it might be like weird for them to work together for some reason <laughs> um but for her roles on mary tyler moore uh white wins back-to-back emmy awards uh in 75 and 76 um and she's like bffs with mary tyler moore after the mary tyler moore show she's offered her own sitcom this is the fourth tv installment i think of the betty white show it doesn't do well Cut to the 80s, uh, Alan Ludden passes away, rest in peace. They have no children together. She's stepmother. Ludden has three children from a previous marriage. He's a widower. But White never remarries after Ludden and never has children of her own. Um, because we are all Betty White's children and grandchildren. Aww. And great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Bitch was born in 1922. Yeah. My, own, like my grandmother, my mom's mom... Uh, who has not been with us for a while, was born in 1919. And I would just constantly be like, Betty White is, if my grandma was still alive, she'd just be three years older than Betty White. Betty White just still doing the dang thing. Yeah, Um, yeah, she, uh, in 83, White becomes the first woman to win a Daytime Emmy Award for the category Outstanding Game Show Host because she's amazing. Uh, She has another series in the early 80s before the series that we have to talk about the golden girls <sighs> which i started re-watching while crocheting because it's just a really good except the problem is i can't crochet to something that i need to actually like 
keep my eyes on the screen. And what's fucking magical about the Golden Girls are just the facial expressions yeah. and the looks. Also, it's just kind of wholesome to be crocheting to the Golden Girls. Are you 87 years old? I might be. So she's originally, she's originally like, they're considering her for, they're considering her for Blanche and they're considering, I can't remember the actress's last name and I'm awful, but I always remember her first name because it's Rue and I love that name. Uh, Rue, who plays Blanche, uh, was being considered for Rose, but because they're very similar to characters that they had basically just played, like Blanche is very much like her Sue Ann Nivens character in the Mary Tyler Moore show. Both of them are like, eh, I don't know that I want to do this. Like, it's kind of the same character I just played. And the they were like, well, why don't we, well, let's flip flop it. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's give you, let's let you guys stretch and, and do something else. And let's, and let's flip flop it. Cause Betty White's got range. Yeah. Uh, and Betty White said that she, she struggled. She wasn't sure that she could pull, that she could pull off Rose until, uh, I think it was, I think she said, she credited Rue, the actress who plays Blanche, uh, as basically describing Rose as terminally naive. And that helped Blanche, that helped it just like click. I'd Rose just it. clicked for Betty White. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to state that Betty White, not only wins an Emmy for Outstanding Actress in a Comedy Series for her role as Rose the first year of the show, she is nominated in that category for every year the show is running. She doesn't win again, but she's nominated. That show runs from 85 to 92. She is nominated for, for Outstanding Actress in a Comedy Series every single year. <laughs> she just paves the way for Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like... I was nominated every year for anything I ever did, and I'm just getting bored of it. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like, okay, I'll just get nominated for everything every year that I ever did. I, <laughs> I want to see what, what their nomination like list is compared to each other. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I'm going to look that up when we wrap up. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we get to the 90s, because people say that, like, Betty White, like, we feel like Betty White disappeared until, like, fucking 2008, 2009, but she... She's in like every 90s sitcom, every great 90s and early aughts sitcom. Like she's in Suddenly Susan. She has a guest role in The Practice, which then becomes a series regular role when they do Boston Legal, which I always feel like I need to remind people that The Practice, Boston Legal, and Allie McBeal all exist in the same world. Um, what? What? They all exist in the same universe. So Dylan McDermott makes an appearance, his practice character makes an appearance in... Uh, Ally McBeal. So the practice is a spinoff of Ally McBeal, and then Boston Legal is a spinoff of the practice. I mean, that makes sense. But also, I I watched. I remember watching Ally McBeal as a kid when I didn't understand everything, and I would go to school being like, "Oh, Ally McBeal." People were like, "You can't watch that show." But that makes sense now. Hearing that, as an I didn't understand anything, but I did barge into a lot of bathrooms to have conversations with people regardless <laughs> of, of gender of the bathroom. I did see an imaginary um, baby dancing a lot. God, I for I was I had never watched Ally McBeal, and I went back and when it was all on Netflix or something uh, like five years ago, and I started watching it, and I was like, "Oh, that's where this baby's from." <laughs> And for those of you who don't know, I co-run an animation studio. We specialize in 3D. And so just that early 3D animated dancing baby is just a thing that lives in my head. I wish I could charge it rent because I wish I could evict it. 
because you want that income. You're like, I want to get rid of you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so she is this like character in the practice who then she becomes a series regular in or a recurring guest star in um, Boston Legal. The whole time I was watching Ally McBeal when I went to go watch it, it just made me want to watch Boston Legal. And then Dylan McDermott showed up from the practice. And that's when my brain went, are these all in the same universe? <laughs> and I looked it up and they are. So the more you know. Um, then she's in a soap opera. She's also, by the way, she's nominated for an Emmy for like guest actress in a comedy series for every single one of those 90s sitcoms that she has a guest spot in. Uh, because if you put Betty White in there, she will be nominated for an award. She then returns to her role from the practice, like I said. Um, and then we get to 2009, The Proposal, featuring Sandy B, Ryan Reynolds. I just rewatched this last year. And let me say, what a joy. I'll, wa I'll watch, I don't rewatch a lot of things, but I do rewatch a lot of the San Sandra Bullock catalog. <laughs> She's there's a lot of things got, on that list. She's just got so much good, you know? Yeah. Like she's had a long career, and it's been pretty consistently mm -hmm. good. But this isn't about her. It's not I about mean, her. I mean, we could also just talk about Sandra Bullock for an hour and a half if you guys want. Next um, week on. On <laughs> Shared History. On um, shared actresses who we adore. Uh, so this is around the time that people... I feel like from our generation who maybe didn't watch Golden Girls on like what me TV or like TV land or something <laughs> me and fall in love with Betty White because this is when she's in that uh, uh, that Super Bowl commercial and it's Snickers like one. yeah yeah it's that Snickers it's I think it was a Super Bowl ad but it was it was definitely uh, a Snickers ad and it's just so wild that there are people who think that Betty White has her career because of a Snickers ad. And it's like, you guys don't understand this woman created television. That's like when Missy Elliott was on the Super Bowl halftime show with Beyonce and everyone younger than us was like, wow, who is this, this new artist? They're so much fun. And we're like, oh, created, created hip hop. So, seriously. <laughs> Do, um, do your, thank know God your that's history. Of rap and hip hop. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, after the the Snickers ad, some dude in Texas starts a Facebook campaign to let being like, please let Betty White host the SNL. And so there you go. In March March eleventh, twenty ten. Betty White becomes the oldest person to ever host Saturday Night Live. We're 2010. How old are we? 80? Wasn't she like 81? I don't know what math is. She's 88. 88. <laughs> She's 88. She's the oldest person to ever host SNL. Uh, and she fucking crushes it. It's a Mother's Day special. All of those sketches are still great. SNL is a very hard format. When uh, Kate McKinnon won her Emmy, she's like, guys, can I say, it's really hard to do an hour of live sketch televised for 42 years. And it's true. And I feel like every five or six years, people start doing the SNL isn't as good as it used to be. If you go back and watch all full episodes of SNL, there are so few top to bottom great episodes. You remember good good uh, musical guests. You remember good sketches. But a full 
hour of just quality sketches. One of the last people who I remember doing it was Dave Chappelle. And that's he is a sketch writer. And so to get a solid top to bottom episode, like, of course, of course, Betty White could do it. Yeah, because she used to do five and a half fucking hours. She's like, okay, live, unscripted. She's like, this is nothing for me. I'm going to take a nap and not rehearse and crush this. Also, I just did a very, very, very quick count. Betty White, and I I didn't look at what everything was for, but everything she was nominated for or honorarily won, 62 nominations and most of them were wins in her lifetime. Julia Louis Dreyfus, one hundred and two. Holy shit! <laughs> and that's for like Critics' Choice. Like, does she won the fucking uh, well, Twin Prize in comedy? But like, this is for everything. Let's. I mean, but let's also uh, acknowledge that probably a third of the things that Julia Louis Dreyfus was nominated for didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> when when uh when Betty White was coming up, like she was nominated for just outstanding actress in television, <laughs> she'd have been nominated in like four different categories if they had category. Wow, you talk about Meryl Streep, but she's won the most Oscars. Julie Louis Dreyfus has probably won the majority of things she's been nominated for, and she's been nominated for like everything. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean Betty White should have won an Emmy for her hosting of SNL. I just I love thought that she episode. did. She was nominated, wasn't she? Let me go or check my list episode. of 62. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. But we're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. What a... What a gem. I just love that that episode they brought back, like there were people who had, a lot of women who had left the show came back to do that episode. Mm-hmm. And so it's just that episode is top to bottom gold, if I remember correctly. And I'm sure that there was a dud in there because it's fucking hard. It's fucking hard. Um, but it's it's written and carried by like three generations of some of the greatest comedians who happen to be women of our time and it's just oh there's so many good shit there's so much good shit in there here's what's here's what's crazy town to me betty white was like i want to be a forest ranger and the world was like you can't and she was like okay well then i want to do this other thing that i also love and i'm so sure that i love this thing and this thing is what i want to do that i'm going to keep coming back to it a war will interrupt me i will come back to it a marriage will interrupt me and try to make me raise chickens and I will come back to this thing that I love. I will continuously leave men who I love for this thing that I love more. Mm -hmm. I will do the damn thing. Like just the level of sureness of, of herself of like, this is, I like, and it, she, she could have been not successful at all. She just was like, I want to entertain people. I want to, 
I want to do this. I'm just going to keep doing it, whether I'm like at any opportunity that I'm given. I read something that was like, she was paid $5 a show for a bunch of the radio shows that she did, but she would also just like fucking do some for not, for not getting paid, which like I will never condone in modern society. Yeah. Uh, lots of labor exploitation, especially among comedians and performers. But like, she just wanted to do the thing and loved the thing yeah. and knew that that's what she was here to do and continued to love it and do it because she knew it's what she wanted to do through her 90s like in her 90s i think she's on hot in cleveland and she's she's a recurring role and she's getting awards uh, for it still yeah and she's she yeah she's well i don't think she wins ever for hot oh, sorry. She is nominated. she's nominated well and i will say that like from personal experience seeing it amongst my friends and experiencing it myself that a lot of times performing comedy it becomes this weird addiction of just like i just need to keep doing it i just need to keep doing it like i started it i just need to finish it like when you stop doing comedy or you stop acting it, it feels like i'm weak i was a failure a lot of times performers pride themselves on misery and that's why we take jobs that don't pay we're like oh i'm i'm poor and living off hot sauce packets and you know can't afford rent look how cool i am and we pride ourselves on that pain we put well, and that's why we take jobs that we don't necessarily want yeah. because we don't know when the next one's going to be yes. or we stay in things that we don't necessarily want to be doing and it's like that becomes toxic and makes you resent all of the opportunities exactly. you have it just feels and again i don't know betty but it feels so much like it was never this you're like, oh, I just need to do it. Like, I just need to make the next big thing. I need to, I just need to keep going. Like, I can't lose. It does feel like winning and losing, staying in any sort of gig work, any sort of perform your entertainment career. And it just sounds like she's like, I'm just having so much fun doing it. Like, I want to go back. It's, she just, she seems like she just genuinely loved doing the thing and loves being busy. And was like, I can have fun on like any set. Like the fact that that one that one sitcom in the '60s is like, she's quoted as saying it's the only time that I've ever wanted to get away, from, like get off of a show and yeah. get away from a project. And it was Hot just a project. Like, it wasn't like, oh my god, this sucks. I want to be done with my career. No, it was like, but it's like I like I don't. I'm not. I'm not. She was like, I'm not having fun, and I'm and I love what I'm doing, and I want to continue having fun. And yeah. so clearly, like if I'm not having fun at this thing, I should be doing something else. She hot in Cleveland. She. Um, they book her for the pilot and she said she said when they booked her for the pilot like i'll do the pilot but i can't guarantee that if it gets picked up i'm not going to do it because she was busy mm -hmm. she, like and she's like in her 90s and she's like mm, i'm really busy so like <laughs> i'll throw you a bone i'll do this pilot yeah. but like and then she has so much fun that she's like i'll make it work yeah. <laughs> and she does the series too she 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 said at once i think she credited her mom or something for her cockeyed optimism and it's oh. just like that just that's quintessential like w what we think of betty white and as her career and she just she was so positive she was kind of snickery and you know sarcastic and whatnot but it was always twinged with this sense of kindness and hope and i think that's we're seeing a lot more um praise and recognition for comedians for performers who approach things with kindness and look at how amazing Ted Lasso was. I think people underestimate 
approaching things with kindness and positivity. And they're like, well, that can't be funny because sarcasm has now become our default, what we consider comedy. And it's not true. And I think people are wanting it more. They want Schitt's Creek. They want Ted Lasso. And they're realizing it can be really funny too. And and the the humor of those like little jab moments that are in all of those shows yes. that are in like Betty White's, a lot of Betty White's catalog is her being sickeningly sweet and then landing a punch, yeah. <laughs> basically. Like people credit the um, the Snickers commercial with like her quote unquote comeback. <laughs> Bitch didn't go anywhere, <laughs> uh, but it was she did the roast of William Shatner mm -hmm. and they wrote a bunch of material for her and it's a roast. Roasts are like catty and like, yeah. and like all in good fun, but like I'm, I'm making fun of you. And she like, cause she has the perfect comedic timing and is a goddess divine lands every single one of those punches, but you can never hate her for it. Cause it never feels, even when she is literally punching down because that is a structure of the joke. She isn't punching down. It is a quality that if you are not a performer or you've not had the opportunity to like stand in front of a crowd and find that line, it's so hard to punch yeah. down while still being welcoming. Yeah. There's a lot of shows that like that were critical darlings or that like everyone loves that I'm like, I just can't watch them because I just feel like I'm watching somebody get bullied. Yeah. And I'm like, I might enjoy, like I'll enjoy an episode, but like ice cold take here. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the office. I yeah. love individual episodes of the office. I cannot binge watch the office. I can't do it. Parks and Rec was kind of one of those first like wholesome shows. The thing was they all loved each other. They're all so kind. And when someone, when someone messes up, they're like, hey man like why are you doing you know it's that i want you to be better and then the kindest person on the show jerry they're just awful too and that was the joke you know it yeah. was there's no reason to be mean to this guy and he is by far the goodest and they just fucking hate him then they give him like a they give him a hero moment and then you're like oh jerry <laughs> People, I sidebar, people will be like, well, Perks and Rick is a derivative of The Office. And it's like, well, first of all, The American Office is a ripoff of The British Office. Yeah. So like, well, let's not talk about that. Also, it is, but it isn't. It's like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, literally Rob McElhenney has said he, he created it as the antithesis of Friends. They were watching Friends and they were like, this is hilarious. It's like, what a great show about all of these friends who always have, like literally the theme song, I'll be there for you. And he's and he's like the genesis for for always sunny in Philadelphia is what if it's a group of friends, but they're never gonna fucking be there for each other. And it's like take inspiration where you where you want. All of art builds off of itself, you know? Like look at how many mockumentary TV shows we saw yeah. around the time the office came off came out. And like you can't be like, well, it's just this, it's just this. Everything is like like back to the anti-hero thing like oh we got walter white in uh breaking bad like let's go do this let's go do this about these horrible let's do ozarks let's do whatever yeah. like let's do dexter dexter, dexter yeah following anti-hero it's not stealing the office it's taking a format and doing it differently and quite frankly doing it better nothing 
Nothing is original no. except for Betty White. Is the moral of the story. What I love, like going back to just general wholesomeness, there are, and, and her just like confidence and sure-footedness in what she wanted to do. Betty White loved three things. Men. There's an interview. <laughs> there's an interview uh, where they say, like, they ask, like, what have you not done in the business that you've always wanted to? And she just says, Robert Redford. <laughs> Uh, there's all like there's all these interviews where she talks about like the roast, for example, and some of the shit that she said on SNL, and she's like, there, just like people think that I like don't quote unquote don't know what I'm saying, and she's like, I know, I I get the joke, like I know. The joke. I think being Rose, just that airhead and not realizing what she's saying, people are like, well, she's Rose. It's like, no, if you can say that clever of stuff and hide so much shit on the spot, and you don't, I don't know, it's. It's harder yeah. than people think, and you have to have so much more talent. Those early actors were dripping with talent because you had to be able to do all those things to get on TV. Nowadays, you have to have a lot of Instagram followers, and you can do whatever you want. Fast is funny, and fast and funny is gold. I'm getting that on a shirt. <laughs> You're welcome. And fast and uh, funny and gold is Golden Girls. It's Betty White. It's Betty White. Oh, it's Golden Girls. Oh, <laughs> There, yeah, so she, like, she loved, she loved men, she loved entertaining, and she, and she loved animals. Like, she passed on a role in As Good As It Gets because of the scene where Jack Nicholson pitches the dog down the trash chute. Like, she was offered, a, like, a role in it uh, as, as uh, Helen Hunt's, like, mother. And she was like, nope. She she spent all she's in interviews. She constantly talks about how her uh, acting, her acting career and her comedy career pays for or like allowed or enabled her animal habit. Yes. Her wildlife loving habit. Because yes. she she in addition to like all the performance accolades that we've talked about, she was awarded for her work with animals by the American Veterinary Medical Association um by the city of los angeles like she would just like roll up to like the zoo and basically be like let me hang out there's let me hang out with the animals it's hard to say no to things in entertainment because just like that you know you're a dime a dozen we can grab the next person and granted when good it's good as it gets came out like she was she was set she's like i i have veto rights and power yeah but oh, yeah when you're being when you're being made direct offers yeah you it's you can think about that it is really hard to say no to things or to be like i'm not super cool with that which is why you see actors making so many bad decisions or looking back on their previous roles and like that wasn't really cool but if i said no like i was done in this in this career and being able to say like these are the things that i'm willing to do and these are the things i'm not willing to sacrifice on that's really bold and brave and you know that could change the course of your career and it could ruin it I mean, to bring things back to Brendan Fraser, uh, literally people are like, oh, Brendan Fraser's making a comeback. Like, where did Brendan Fraser go? And Brendan Fraser stood up to and called out uh, somebody who was, like, sexually harassing and abusing him mm -hmm. on a set yeah. and was told to shut up about it and didn't. Yeah. And then basically, because of it, got blacklisted for standing up for him, his ding dang self yeah. for, for, and, and that's because people are like, where'd he go? Yeah. Like, it's like, no, like he couldn't get work because yeah. he stood, 
because he said something. Yeah. He was in a position at that point where he could, he could, in theory, say things. Like, he was an empowered actor who was getting... The like, fact that he did have that status, you know, that status yeah. of, I'm a man, I can't be sexually harassed. And then he said that, people are like, that's not a thing, you know... It's it goes both ways and it is hard. So I'm sorry, Yukio Mishima, for objecting. I was about to say you. I'm sorry. I was about to say I'm sorry to all of our guests on the podcast. Who I'll just be like, and our guest today, just so handsome, <laughs> male or female <laughs> or non-binary. I just constantly tell because you know podcasting is a visual yeah, medium, absolutely. and I just want everyone to know yeah. how. Uh, talented and good-looking are all of our guests yep. are. I'm sorry. I apologize. More hot takes. More, more hot takes. <laughs> now we'll spend 45 minutes reading aloud every nomination. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll stick in the Emmy category. Wins, ultimately winning. Um, Betty White won five primetime Emmys, two daytime Emmys, and that whatever that Los Angeles Emmy was. Uh, her daytime Emmys include her her win in 2015, which, okay, her win in 2015 for the Lifetime Achievement uh, daytime Emmy, which it's always f fun for me to be like, when we give people Lifetime Achievement Awards, sometimes they are people who are kind of out of the business now. Like, yeah. they're like, I'm old and I'm tapping out. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be doing this and I want to just, like, hang out with my family. But Betty White, 2015, Betty White's still doing the dang thing. Like, like she's, she's working. She's too busy for hot in Cleveland. Like, she, yeah. she working. She, she, she's like, I guess I'll take this Lifetime Achievement Daytime Emmy, but, like, I ain't done achieving in my lifetime. Yeah, I got a lot more Lifetime to uh, achieve. And she, like, continued, like, it is now 2022. She, she got her Lifetime Achievement Award, Daytime Emmy, years before she tapped she, before she tapped out of our world but not our hearts um she's and it's like i we can talk about her accolades like she's the only woman to have received an emmy in all performing comedic categories uh she is the record for the longest span between emmy nominations her first in 1951 and her last in 2014 um she gets oh speaking of lifetime achievement awards her sag lifetime achievement award 2009 like f what? <laughs> Betty still Betty still be Betty in hard in two thousand. As comedians in general, people who don't do comedy, they're they sit there and say, "Make me laugh." And when you see someone funny, you're just like, "Oh, they're you know they're they're being funny." Um, yes, there's a lot of natural ability of like timing or just knowing what works. But for some of these things that need to, for sketches that are written, there's so much. I always would say math. Um, when I would write sketch, I was like, the math of this doesn't doesn't add up. We need to tweak something because there's beats, there's timing, there's equations, there's, you know, the rule of three. There's so much strategy and logistics that go into making a single joke work. That's why stand-up comedians will work on a five-minute set for months before they add it to a special. So you see something that was funny and you're like, I don't know why it was funny. Or I didn't think Wholesome could be funny. Someone like Betty White. She paved the way for so much of that and for putting a foundation of kindness, of wholesome, of I feel like a lot of this episode was just me critiquing comedy and what I like about it and what works about it and that people don't realize the work that goes into just saying something quick, 
So go back and watch all the stuff you think is funny and realize some of those throwaway easy jokes are so smart and there's so much going into it. The fact that you can do it quickly just means that that is, you're doing all that work in your brain so quickly. It's, there's so much mechanics involved. And the, any actor or like that you hear people talk about how much they added to the script and like how much they ad-libbed or like on top of the scripted stuff. We can watch bloopers of somebody, of somebody like improving in a, in a scripted piece all day long. But the reason that those, some of those jokes didn't make it into the edit is that they're funny, but they don't, they're not mathematically tight. If you can, like, Robin Williams and Betty White would improvise one-off lines in takes that would serve the piece and they'd serve the joke, like, all that math that Cass just talked about. Like, they're not just the reason that, like, all this Robin Williams stuff would end up in a final take of something was because it was not only fast and funny, it was also, it was, like, doing, it's doing mental math. Mm -hmm. It's like fast, it's funny, and it's like calculated perfectly. It's narrative. So that it doesn't break any of the math that went into the writing of the piece. You can work days, you can work months on a single joke. And to be able to consistently make something funny and quick work while also pushing narratively, while also keeping things seamless, that's where genius, that's where skill, that's where amazing comedians come through. Is they're not just derailing something to say something funny. They're saying something funny, and we can keep going. We don't mm -hmm. need to break the take. Sorry, again, this just became a critique and a uh, study in Speaking comedy. of a master class, just, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, you can um, pay for a master class that will be... <laughs> yeah, uh, you can pay us for a master class on our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash broadsheet radio. Um, they're very expensive, but you can pay for bonus episodes uh, and bonus content and special discounts on merch and whatnot. And that is much less expensive than our master class. <laughs> we are very affordable at that level. Yeah. If you want to throw us a couple of dollar dollar bills so that we can continue to do this thing that we love for you and, uh, and, you know, stay on our high horse about not doing things for free. <laughs> You can do that. And if you, uh, if at times, times is hard, our, uh, we're broken, our hearts are broken. So if, if you want to support us in other ways, there are plenty of other ways to do that, like leaving us a rating and a review on the old Apple podcast or, and, or telling three to five of your closest friends or enemies about shared history. We appreciate both. We love when we can see you tell the whole internet that you love us but like we also you know every time a bell rings an angel gets its wings and every time you tell somebody else about shared history one of us thinks that we got heartburn but it's just the warming of our heart from <laughs> that you did elsewhere. it gets real warm it burns <laughs> thank you guys for uh joining us on our therapy session uh, mm -hmm. we miss you, Betty White, uh, uh, wherever you are, if you're listening, um, we'd love to get you on the show. So when the technology yeah. is available, we'll work on getting you on. Zoom to the heavens. <laughs> we hope that you learned something, but.
but mostly we hope that you, you know, just got to bask in the glory of Betty White today because it's what it's what she would have wanted. A moment of silence. <laughs> and on that note, Sherry Sherry later. Later. Broadsheet Radio.